This is the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's Laura Reagan, LCSWC, with today's episode. Hi, welcome to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast. Today on the podcast, I'm talking about something I find very interesting, and I hope you will too. It's Brene Brown's Guideposts to Wholehearted Living, which are from her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. This book is one of my very favorites, and it's currently back on the bestseller list. If you haven't heard of it, you should definitely check it out, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I know when I first saw the title, and I'm not the only one to have this reaction, I said, ooh, imperfection. (laughs) Ooh, that's not a gift, but it is. And that's what reading that book made me understand. And it's helped so many people understand that we are perfect just how we are and pretending to be someone you're not or all the other things that we do to try to make ourselves seem perfect actually takes away from your joy. And I don't want to live that way. So I want to talk to you about the guideposts today. I'm just going to kind of give a little bit of background and then go over what they are. And I'll talk about them more in future podcast episodes. But I always kind of mention how I do the Daring Way work. Um, I'm a certified Daring Way facilitator, and that is the work based on the the research of Brene Brown. I don't think a lot of people really know what it is. So um, talking about the guideposts is just kind of a beginning point to understanding a little bit more about her whole paradigm and the way she sees things. If you really want to get the big scoop, check out her books, Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly. I thought it was just me, but it isn't. And of course, her newest book, which was recently a number one bestseller, Rising Strong. I love all of them. And they have all the details and all the research to back up what she talks about. So this is just a little intro. If you are interested in living your life in a way that feels authentic and wholehearted, you might like to listen to this. So I talk about authenticity and wholeheartedness because it's something that resonates for me as a way that I want to live my life. I want to feel like my sole purpose and my actions are aligned. That sounds easy, but it's not as easy as it sounds because this world we live in tells us we should look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way so that we can fit in and be accepted. And sometimes it feels like our true selves aren't really welcome. We're all unique. And what makes us unique is what is special about us. So if we're all pretending to be the same, then we're hiding our true selves from the world and doing everyone a big disservice. For me, and I've talked about this in other writings on my blog, which is called Connect With Your True Self, hiding how I feel inside is something that that comes easily. I've done it for... 43 years so far till I turn 44 in November. (laughs) Um, Although I've been working for a while to change that habit for about 10 years. 
um, at first, I didn't even know when I was hiding my feelings. I didn't even know how I felt inside. It was all just what was below the neck was kind of closed off to my mind and my awareness. And I know a lot of us walk around that way. So I kind of had a general sense of, but I didn't really understand what I felt. When I was a child, people often told me that I was too sensitive. And I was sensitive, and I still am. And now I'm proud of that. But when I was a child, I got the message that that wasn't cool. So I tried hard to hide how I felt then so I wouldn't draw unwanted attention. Crying in public, big no-no. I learned that when I was very young. So even if it wasn't me when I was a child who was crying in public, I saw the way that other people reacted when in school, if another kid would cry, everyone would be like, oh man, poor kid. (laughs) And I remember maybe in third grade saying, I'll never cry in school. I hope I get through this year without ever crying. Um, Which is terrible because crying is a normal way to express feeling sad, mad, confused, scared, frustrated, overwhelmed, all of the above and more. So I learned how to hide that. And um, as I continued through my life, of course, I had other experiences that caused me pain that I would prefer not to feel. So I didn't need to show my emotions more. I needed to be sure to keep them tucked away, which I think people would think is crazy now because I'm pretty open with my emotions, but I can still do this. If I, if I have something that I'm really struggling to cope with, I'll just automatically go into that not feeling place. And I don't like that. Feeling numb is not feeling joy. One famous quote that Brene Brown says is, you can't selectively numb emotion. Numb the dark and you numb the light. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is, if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. It's true. You can't feel joy if you're just numb. And joy is how I want to feel in my life. I want to experience joy and all the feelings. So just to tell you a little more about how I came to get involved with reading The Gifts of Imperfection, as a counselor and social worker, I thought really it was important for me not to show my emotions because if I were to let anyone see that I was upset about some of the sad stories I would hear, then I thought that meant that I wasn't good at my job. And I really wanted to be good at my job because I'm so, I love my work and I'm so passionate about it. Now I know, of course, that there's an appropriate time and place to express 
the way you feel about the work you do as a social worker, counselor, or any kind of psychotherapist or helping professional. You know, it's not in the conduct of your daily work and your professional duties that you show your emotions, but you have to let them out at some point. Pretending things don't bother us does not actually protect us from feeling pain. But I thought that if I let my guard down, then I was being vulnerable and that was a sign of weakness. So I know I'm not alone in that too. So in The Gifts of Imperfection, Brene Brown defines authenticity as the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we really are. And in her research, she was able to identify certain ways of living that people who feel more wholehearted do differently from people who are shutting themselves off and trying to be perfectionists. And so, which we often do without even knowing. Um, So these are the guideposts and I'll just list them. The first one is cultivating authenticity, letting go of what people think. I know that's easier said than done. I live in a community where what people think is very important to a lot of us. And if you didn't worry about what other people thought, you might not be accepted, or at least that's the fear. But in reality, I think you still want to follow the social norms and don't go doing anything that's going to hurt someone else. But if you're only making your choices based on what other people think instead of what you think, then you're not being true to yourself. The second one is cultivating self-compassion, letting go of perfectionism. I'll admit I never heard of self-compassion before reading this book and attending the Daring Way training in Texas last year. I'd heard of self-esteem, self-worth, but self-compassion was completely a foreign concept to me. And now I understand that it's one of the most important practices for well-being. We're all human. Nobody's perfect. No matter what anybody else's life looks like, they're not perfect either. None of us has to be perfect because who we are is just right, just as we are right now. Okay, third one is cultivating a resilient spirit, letting go of numbing and powerlessness. That is that concept of instead of numbing to cope with emotions and being really unaware of how you feel at any given point, being able to feel the feelings even the unpleasant ones, knowing that that's part of the human experience and it will pass, helps cultivate a resilient spirit. Guidepost four, cultivating gratitude and joy, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. We all know what gratitude is. We know what joy is. In this case, gratitude refers to being present in the moment and being grateful for something about right now. Instead of The opposite part, letting go of scarcity and fear of the dark. Scarcity is, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I don't make enough money. My house isn't big enough. My house isn't beautiful enough. My kitchen isn't updated enough. Neighbors have brand new granite countertops and mine look outdated. You have a house. You have a safe place to live. That's something to be grateful for. And some people might say, oh, yeah, sure. Of course, I'm not homeless. And yes, I'm grateful for that. But in reality, what's really important, cultivating gratitude can help you remember what that is. And a lot of people use gratitude journals. 
Fear of the dark is about being afraid of the emotions that we don't like, like I mentioned earlier. Guidepost five is cultivating intuition and trusting faith, letting go of the need for certainty. So you can't hear your intuition and what it's telling you when you're numbing and you're ignoring what your gut says and worrying about what other people think instead. Letting go of the need for certainty is about how will I know if everything's going to be okay? What if I choose to marry this person and then they leave me? You know, in reality, we can't control those things. I mean, you choose based on what you feel is best. You can use your intuition and trust faith for that. But there's no way to know exactly what's going to happen. And that is okay. Number six is cultivating creativity and letting go of comparison. Creativity lives in all of us. And it's been stifled for a lot of us ever since childhood. Brene Brown talks about how there's so much shame around creating and what if people don't like it? What if it doesn't look right? What if it's not perfect? When you let go of comparison, you say, I'm creating to create. It's not about if it's as good as someone else's, if it's better than someone else's. It's my creation and that's good because of what it is, because I created something in the process of creating. That's the use of creativity is just for the purpose of doing it. It's not even about what comes out in what's made. It's not about if you're making a piece of art. It's not about how it looks. It's about making it. Number seven, cultivating play and rest. Letting go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. Now, I know that in a culture where we're always striving, trying to achieve, trying to make more money, have more things, do everything, have it all. Exhaustion is a way of life for so many of us. And we might feel like I have to feel exhausted all the time because I'm working, I'm in school, I'm a parent, and I'm doing all of those things 100%. I've lived that way. I mean, there was a time when I was working full time, going to school full time, and I was a parent, a wife, I was trying to be a friend. Most of the time, I felt like I was failing at all of them. You know, I chose that. I didn't have to do that. And productivity as a source of self-worth, heck yeah. For so many of us, if we're not doing something, we feel like we're being lazy. Isn't that the American way? Work, 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 work. Don't be lazy. So it stands to reason that if you're resting, you might feel like you should be doing something. But we have to rest. Our bodies need rest. Our minds need rest. We can't be truly effective and productive in our work if we don't get enough rest. And play. Play is not just for kids. We need that. Okay, number eight is cultivating calm and stillness. Letting go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Yep, I can relate to that one too. I can relate to all of them. That's why I love this book so much. When you're so busy and you're so stressed and you're so worried about trying to be perfect and what everybody else thinks, you're so anxious. Cultivating calm and stillness is an antidote to that. Whether it's meditation, visualization, sitting quietly, yoga, all of those things are the opposite of having anxiety as a lifestyle. Okay, number nine is cultivating meaningful work, letting go of self-doubt and supposed to. So if your work is meaningful to you, it fulfills something in your, your soul's purpose. But Working in a way that fulfills yourself, your soul's purpose may 
really be outside of the box and it really may be something that other people don't support. Maybe they feel you're supposed to be a lawyer because your dad was a lawyer or you're supposed to get a degree in business because that's something that will make money. If you trust your intuition and make a choice to go a different way, you can bet that self-doubt will be rearing its ugly head every so often, especially when things get hard. But the people in her studies who cultivated meaningful work and the other parts of the guideposts were living their lives feeling authentic and wholehearted. And the last one, and I think the easiest one to overlook, is cultivating laughter, song, and dance, letting go of being cool and always in control. We all want to be cool. No one wants to be unliked or made fun of or singled out. We all want to fit in. I think one of the things that really makes someone cool is being themselves and being confident in who they are. And that doesn't mean you always have to be in control. You don't have to be in control all the time. No one is in control all the time. And for anyone who's trying to maintain that cool facade and always be in control, they're secretly terrified that people are going to see them being anything else besides that persona that they're trying to put on. And it just weighs on you. So these guideposts are explained in far more detail in the book, The Gifts of Imperfection, which I highly recommend. I literally do recommend it to almost everyone I work with. It's so good. And it's not even that long. You can read it kind of quickly, but it's funny. It's informative and definitely changed my life. I hope that it will be as useful to you as it has been for me. So as I've mentioned before, I'm a Daring Way facilitator. I offer this work in individual therapy, also in groups, retreats, workshops, constantly adding to what I offer with The Daring Way. I love the work so much and people respond to it so well that uh, I just want to share it more and more. So if you're interested in finding out more about that, go to my website, lauraregan.lcswc.com and you can find out everything that I'm offering. So thanks for listening today to my little overview about the gifts of imperfection. I hope you got something out of it. And until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Baltimore Annapolis Psychotherapy Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more, visit Laura's website, www.lauraregan.com lcswc.com.